The Camas Prairie lies in the heart of the Nez Perce Reservation in northwestern Idaho. If you stand at the edge in the early morning, you can watch as the wind creates standing waves in the endless, undulating sea of grass punctuated by camas flowers. I ran across Rick Hannon's work while I was doing research about the tall grass and short grass prairies, an ecological environment that kind of tugs at my heart. Rick's a sound recordist, and he published an album called Dusk to Dawn on the Camas Prairie. It's what you're hearing in the background. So I was intrigued, and as I tend to do, I made a pest of myself and reached out to Rick, and he agreed to do an interview with me. As you know, the whole point of the Natural Curiosity Project is to share with you the kinds of things that I think you should be curious about. For example, when I first contacted Rick, I expected to have a conversation with somebody who spends his time all alone in places like the prairie, recording birds and wind and amphibians. And yes, he does that exceptionally well, by the way. But as we talked, I discovered that he's much more than someone who spends his time alone on the prairie. He's an accomplished photographer, a diversely gifted sound recordist, a dedicated photojournalist, and a wonderful observer of the world around him. Just head over to his website, evocativesound.com, and have a look at the diversity of his soundscape albums alone. So who is this guy? I was a newspaper carrier, and then my first photography job was working for the newspaper that I carried in Mansfield, the News Journal. From there, I went to be a photographer in Casper, Wyoming. Did that for four years. Got to go all over the state for the Star Tribune, which is a statewide paper. Then I, I went cross-country again to Columbia, South Carolina, where I was a photo editor for a year. And that was cool. Taught me some stuff, but realized that I wanted to be a photographer again instead. Went to Baton Rouge and did that for 14, 15 years. Went through a lot of hurricanes. One of the things about Rick that I find fascinating is his ability to get others to tell their stories, including communities that are stereotypically closed to outsiders like the Amish. Years ago, I worked for the News Journal in Mansfield. And once a year, we had this tabloid thing, the insert for the newspaper. It was an Amish tab, mostly ads of Amish stuff and things like that, but we would have to go fill it up with pictures. And I hated it because as a photographer, they don't want the picture taken. So I was in my car with the window down, you know, and I, I got a cool frame of some little kids. I think they're all little girls in their dresses and it was raining and they have umbrellas and they're walking down the street with their lunch pails. It was great. Fast forward to my field recording days and when I was trying to get to record windmills. One of the best places to find windmills are Amish farms. So I went to some Amish farm right north of us in Mansfield. And I say, hey, Mr. Farmer, I want to record your windmill. He's like, why would you want to do that? And I said, well, you know, I, I do sound effects and nature sound. And I just love the rhythmic sounds of what this, what this sounds like. And he says, oh yeah, it really does sound like that. So go ahead. And I, I did it with regular mics. I did it with contact mics that I hooked up um, in two different ways. And I, I let him listen. I brought, he had kids. I 
they came over and I gave them the headphones and they listened and they were like, oh, this is great. And I realized, wow, this is cool. And, and they didn't know my backstory of not being able to photograph the Amish in all of my angst and consternation. But here I am able to record stuff and I'm in their presence and they're all about it. And so later that day, another, one of his friends came up the walk and he, I said, yeah, I'm recording windmills. Uh, do you have any windmills? Oh, yes, I do. Come record this one. And so his name was Milo Yoder. And he said, come to our farm. So that was an introduction to record his windmill. And from there, I recorded his farm. I recorded him milking, milking the cows in the morning at 5 a.m., recorded him in the fields, recorded his old clock collection because he's Amish. He doesn't have electrical clocks. So he's winding. I got to go in his house. He's winding clocks every day. It was beautiful stuff. When we're milking the cows, he says, oh, you need to come listen to this. Listen to when I first put the first batch of milk into the metal jug that they take to send off. Listen to that sound. I was like, why? He says, oh, just listen to this. And I stuck my mic in there and it, it's got this, the introductory sound is just milk and and then you hear this, you hear the bubbles of all the, the frothy bubbles of the milk. How many milk buckets do you have? Or, or and buckets to milk in, I'm not sure one. Seven. These are all seven? And these are all ten gallon cans? And then the cans, I don't know how many cans I got, but they're all ten gallons. And by the time he fills that metal thing, it's not the same sound anymore. So also I've got this Amish guy thinking about sound and telling me sounds that I need to record that I'm not even thinking about myself. And it was like it was like this, oh my God, this is great. I've got Amish people telling me what to record and they don't mind it and they love it and they're all about it. And all I have to do is hand over my headphones most people, they drive by the Amish, they're like, oh, they're Amish. Oh, I remember growing up as a kid, you all these hilly roads, and then you're driving, there's an Amish bug, you got to slam on the brakes, right? But when you actually get to know them, it's a whole different story. And I didn't get to know them through photojournalism, but I got to know them through field recording and sound. That's awesome to me. It's just another avenue to get to meet people. There's a path that I was on, the carriage trail. And I, I sat out there for a year, all different seasons in the snow and the spring and the fall. And I wanted to get the sound of the train, but it was also the landing out there is the sound of the environment. And so when it's winter, I was there and all of a sudden the icicles are breaking off the trees. In the fall, you heard the crunchy leaves waving around. In the spring, you heard the bird song. In the summer, it was different. And at night, the recording I sent you, it's all the um, critters and the birds and the, all the bugs. And then here comes the stream, steam train. And oh, my God, it sounded beautiful. And especially in the valley, that sound just comes up, 
comes up and wafts around you and envelops you. And it's, it's awesome. And so I sat up at the same spot every time and my wife would drop me off. And I'd walk down there with my boots and stuff. And it was cold. And I'd set up, but I, I wanted to get the whole four seasons at the same spot. And But in the summer and the spring, people would be walking down the trail or they'd be with the walkers. Sometimes they'd keep walking. Sometimes they'd stop. And um, what are you doing? Well, I'm recording the sound here. Why? Well, just listen. And sometimes I'd give them headphones. If they're asked a question, simple question, no headphones. Detailed questions, oh, here's some headphones. And then you get them hooked, right? And then they're thinking about, wow, now I'm, I walk this place all the time. I've never thought to listen. Now I'm listening. And that's a, that's a good thing. And I feel, I guess that's an ambassador to listening to field recording or nature sounds in a different way. We should all be ambassadors for that, right? Before it's too late and it's gone. Rick's company is called Evocative Sound. Whether it's the steam train you just heard, or acorns falling on a tin roof, or the sound of icicles falling from the guardrails on a metal bridge. Or a downy woodpecker banging away on a telephone pole. The name is well chosen, evocative, to summon, to awaken, to arouse. That's what Rick's work does. What does the sound evoke? What does the image evoke? In his mind, sound can often be even more powerful than something visual. Now, one of the things I really wanted to know was how Rick feels about the intrusion of human noise in what we consider to be the natural soundscape. There's a debate going on at the moment about the role of anthropophony, the sound created by people going about their lives, in what we consider to be the voice of nature. Should we be part of it? Like me, he wrestles with the answer. Where I go drive to a place like Camas Prairie, I am, I am contributing to the noise pollution that I, that I dislike when I get there, right? When I, see, when I look at the Facebook groups and I hear somebody that's gone off to Timbuktu, and they don't live in Timbuktu, are they contributing to the noise pollution that we, we as field recorders hate? I see some folks that will, in addition to their audio recording, they're, shooting, they're doing drone footage. Well, come on, man, that, that's making noise. You're obviously not field recording when you're shooting drone footage, and you wouldn't like it if somebody else did. When Al Gore did his book, The Inconvenient Truth, remember that? Great book about the environment. But he went on a tour driving everywhere. So he's contributing to that. How, how do we rationalize? How do we rationalize that? Do we, do we just stay here next to our house and never go anywhere? It's a big conundrum. 
You can thank me later for the fact that I seriously edited this interview with Rick, because if I had published it in its entirety, you would have eaten a couple of meals by this point. We wandered all over the landscape in our conversation, talking about his curiosity-driven coverage of the Amish community, the aftermath of the murder of Matthew Shepard, his unique recording projects of sounds that most of us pay little attention to, like typewriters and hydroelectric power, and the big industrial irrigation systems in the Midwest. You can listen to all of those at his website. But one of his projects really caught my attention, a recording expedition that was more of a passion project than anything else. It's the sound of a geodesic dome, a great metal structure not far from where he lives. You can find the story at his website. Basically, he crawled under the dome, attached a couple of contact mics to the structure, and hit record. I really love to record metal things with contact mics. It's a hit or miss kind of proposition. You never know if you're going to get something that's very cool or if it's just going to be a dud. Some things are really cool. And I thought, well, this geodesic dome could be very cool. So I've got two Barkus Berry contact mics, really nice ones that have really good range. And I, I have two 100-foot cables. And I spread them. I looked at a satellite map of the dome and I thought, okay, well, I can, you know, you can do measurements on the map. I said, well, I can spread, I can do that with my 100 foot cable. So I'll just spread one out here and one here. I wanted to get rain on it too. And I could do that with hydrophones that I have. And that would sound different than the wind. But so far, I've only done the wind. But the wind sounds pretty awesome. I like the way it just blows up and just escalates and comes back down again. If you were in there, if you were standing there, you wouldn't hear a thing. Not even really if you stick your ear to it. It's just, it's a whole different level of listening. I love that about contact mics and hydrophones. It's just a whole different way of immersing yourself in things that you would walk by every day and never think about. Maybe it's his journalist background, but... Rick's attention to detail, his tendency to see and hear things the rest of us don't, is what makes his work so intriguing to me. I like to record stuff that is going by the wayside. Going back to the Amish, or I, I've recorded old wooden rocking chairs with contact mics. You know, stuff that, stuff that nobody hears anymore. Old things, things that I used to use. I used to, I grew up with manual typewriters, took a class. I like the way it works and I like the fact that you can use you can use something that was built 60, 70, 80 years ago. And if you fix it up, which I've done on the back porch of our house with some mineral spirits and stuff, I can make it work again beautifully. And then I can record it. Okay, so not everybody wants to listen to pieces of paper being pulled out of the roller of a typewriter. But I have to admit that Rick's work made me go over to the other side of the basement find my old typewriter from college, attach a couple of contact mics to it, and spend an hour just making sounds. This is what curiosity is about. The more aware we are, the more we think about the things that our senses feed into our brains, the better we understand the world around us. 
I leave you with this. In a small Amish classroom, Rick recorded the voices of the children and their teacher. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you, Rick Hannon of Evocative Sound for the conversation and for sharing so much with us. Dude, we could have talked for days, and if our follow-on conversations are any indication, we actually have. EvocativeSound.com, folks. Please check out Rick's work. 